Welcome. This is From Wyoming to Everest. We're here at the M Building in downtown Casper. I am Diane McGinley, and I'm here with Dr. Joseph McGinley. Today's topic is to talk a little bit about the history of Everest and how it came to be such a challenge that a lot of people want to take on. And I'm excited to talk with you today, Joe, about some of the history of the pieces. And in just a few short days, you're going to be part of that history. Well, I'm climbing the mountain, so I don't know much about the history myself, so I think you'll be answering these questions today. I'm, I'm prepping to go over there, climb it, and get back down, and maybe I'll look some of this stuff up when I get back. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I can picture that being true. So I've got a couple of facts. I pulled some things. So you can talk to me about some of them, but one piece of history I know you know, that is the very famous saying, because it's there. What's the story behind that? Well, again, you know, Sir Edmund Hillary was asked, you know, why, why are you climbing Everest? Why would you put yourself through that? And he had a simple answer, because it's there. That just shows the adventurous spirit. If you're an adventurer, if you're someone that likes pushing the limits, it's really a simple answer. You see it as a challenge. You see it as something that you want to conquer. And you don't need a big reason to do it. You like the training. You like the beauty of the place. You like to see if you can push yourself to get to the top. And as simple as that answer is, there's quite a bit of meaning in that. Yeah, because it's there. You kind of, I don't want to say obnoxiously say that all the time, right? <laughs> when people, why are you doing this? Why would well, you yeah, uh, take the chance? But, people think there's like some big background or reason. You know, I, I really didn't decide to climb Everest till six, seven months ago after I summited Denali. It really wasn't on my list. I enjoyed Denali. I liked the push and the challenge. And we did a expedited pace on that one. And since that was accomplished, the next big one in line is Everest. And it's really as simple as that. I didn't have this lifelong dream to climb Everest. I'm doing it to push myself and see where I can go. That's right. So on May 29th, 1953, Edmund Hillary of New Zealand and Tingzig Norgay, the Sherpa of Nepal, they were the first to reach the summit, but there's actually some debate about that that we'll get into. So it's been 70 years, 70 years people have been climbing on the mountain. And I thought it was a little fun fact. They reached the summit and they were able to get down and then they were able to have runners communicate back to England that they had made the summit on June 2nd, which was the day that Queen Elizabeth II's coronation was. So it was a big part of kind of bragging that the country had done that and was a part of her celebrations at the time. A couple other kind of cool things about it is that Everest reaches two-thirds of the way through the air of the Earth's atmosphere. That's the cruising altitude of jet airliners. Think about that, Joe. <laughs> yeah, you know, we'll be up there in the jet stream. It's uh, almost 30,000 feet and Actually, that's how we're watching the weather patterns is based on the jet stream. So we're going to be up there right where the jets fly. Yeah, that's kind of a crazy thing to think about. Just visually, it's kind of a crazy thing to think about. Um, so let's talk a little bit. I, I know some facts about the early expeditions. I can tell you about that. Sure, let me hear. <laughs> okay, so the first recorded attempt to climb Everest was made in 1921 by George Lee Mallory. They were unsuccessful and he went up again, um, trying to do it again in 1922. They had a, another group made it even a little bit further and they had, unfortunately, on the second and third attempts, several Sherpas died in the quest, but that didn't stop anybody. They went back in 1924 for a third Everest expedition and they reached almost to the summit. So there were 900 vertical feet short at the summit and that was without using oxygen, which is crazy, but you are gonna use oxygen. I'm using oxygen, yes. I'm not pushing it that far. <laughs> um, I need my brain cells. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly, sounds good. 
Four days after that, they were almost there. Fortunately, they were never seen alive again. Kind of a crazy story to this is that there's many people who think that they did reach the summit, that they fell on their way down, but they don't know that for sure. They were actually able to recover his body, which is kind of crazy. It showed that he sustained a pretty awful fatal flaw, but he had a camera with him that would prove whether or not he got to the summit or not, but no one has been able to locate the camera. It remains a mystery as to whether or not they were able to get there first and who really was closest to it. So some little controversy about who made it and who didn't, but unfortunately those guys weren't able to make it down to say whether or not they did or not. Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of deaths and accidents happen on the way down because you put all your energy in and you have adrenaline coming up to the top on that summit and you see it, so you push harder and harder. And then when you get there, you've exhausted all your reserves and then coming back down is actually much more challenging on most mountains because uh, you're fatigued, you're not paying attention and things just happen. So, but unfortunately that does happen on these mountains. Several other expeditions, it seemed like a lot of the early expeditions were just a few hundred, a lot of them made it just a few hundred feet short of it. But as things got better, they improved in equipment, they got some insulated boots, they got some closed circuit oxygen systems. And with the invention of all those things, it certainly made the attempt much more reasonable to do it. There's a really steep, rocky step that's like 40 feet high. And Hillary had to wedge himself into the crack of that face and he inched himself up and that section is forever known as the Hillary Step. But a crazy thing happened to the Hillary Step. Yeah, that uh, unfortunate earthquake that, uh, that they had several years ago over in the Everest region leveled the Hillary Step, so that portion of the mountain is no longer there, and technically that section's a bit easier than it used to be. That's good. Easier sounds good because wedging yourself between the rocks does not seem like a... Well, it was always a choke point on the mountain too, so that's where the, you see these pictures of long lines getting to the top. It's so treacherous getting through that Hillary step that it just took people forever and then create a long line and people would get frostbite and start to feel sick at that point. So the Hillary step is always the crux of that climb. If you get by the Hillary step, you can usually make it to the summit. But now with that not there, it sort of makes it a little bit smoother heading up to the summit. Well, that's good to hear. There were a couple other firsts. In 1960, a Chinese expedition was first to conquer the mountain on the Tibetan side. And in 1963, James Whitaker became the first American to top ever. And in 1975, the first woman from Japan, Tabu Junko, she was the first woman to summit. So lots of different first things that have kind of happened. And this is, of course, your first attempt at doing it. And I say that because it's not a guarantee that you're getting to the top of this. What's the stats? Yeah, it never is. Everest is a challenging mountain. We're doing it at a rapid ascent. So, you know, statistically, we're less than 50% likely to make it to the top and, and back on our first attempt. But I've been successful in my first attempts on most of the other mountains. As we spoke about previously on Aconcagua, you know, one of my guides got sick and we had to turn around. I mean, that happens. So weather, not feeling well, just not your time to go to the summit, you turn around. There's always next year. It's not worth really pushing beyond that. If we make it on our first attempt, wonderful. It'll save me from months of training next year. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm, I'm hoping for a first attempt, just so less worry for me anyway, because there's certainly been some deadly events. In fact, there's already been some deadly events that have happened on the mountain this year. Well, not only on Everest, a couple of the other Himalayan mountains. It's been a rough early start to the climbing season, several deaths. Uh, they actually rescued a few people from crevasses. I don't know how they did it on some of these already. Uh, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a rough climbing season. It hasn't even really started yet. And I just saw the news today that 454 permits so far on Everest for this year, which is a record. Oh my um, goodness. And with that many people climbing, uh, you know, 
Statistically, not everyone's going to make it. That's true. 450, what is a typical year for me? Uh, usually around three to 350. So. Wow. So a considerable amount yes. more. Do you think that was because of COVID and people well, were kind of waiting? Well, a, a number of reasons. So number one, the China side of the mountain is shut down. So the North Face is closed still. COVID, there was a lot of people that put off climbing during the COVID seasons and, and now they're getting back to it. The Russia-Ukraine war, a lot of the individuals from that part of the country uh, did not travel to climb Everest in the last couple of years. So a lot of those factors together, I think, is leading to what we're seeing in, as a, the busiest climbing season in history. And you already see those pictures of people sort of standing in lines. What's going to be your strategy to not be in the line? Pass them. All right. <laughs> Simple as that, right? No problem? Just, you know, Just find a different route, you know, <laughs> wiggle your way around. Uh, I, you know, if you're in line, you're in line. You just got to wait. Can't be impatient. Uh, you just got to make sure you have the right gear. You're, there's only one path up and down that mountain. So, you know, we'll try to leave early. We'll try to beat the crowds. We'll try to do all that stuff. But I'm sure everyone else is thinking the same thing. But there are in much larger groups, right? A lot of there are times, larger groups, yeah. So uh, there are several groups will leave at the same time, and that causes a clog. We're going to be a small group of four, so we'll be able to be a bit more nimble. And, and you know, all joking aside, we'll be able to start before a lot of these groups just because it takes them longer to get going. Well, with that many permits, I sure hope we don't set any records on the deadliest side. The deadliest day on the mountain was on April 25th in 2015, where 19 people were killed in an avalanche. It injured more than 20,000 people. There was an avalanche that caused all sorts of problems in, in Nepal. Yeah, that's where the Hillary stuff got leveled, too. And then, of course, there's the, I don't want to say famous one, that happened out of the book Into Thin Air in 1996, where a group got caught in a blizzard and then made some poor choices. I, I definitely don't recommend if you're worried about <laughs> Joe doing this climb, watching that movie um, or reading that book. I kind of wish I could un unlearn about it. The whole time as I was reading the book, I was thinking to myself, there were choices all along the way. And I would hope that at any of those moments, you would make sort of different choices. Yeah, you never tell until you're on the mountain. But yeah, you, you plan for the worst, hope for the best, right? I mean, that's that's the way it goes. But sometimes you make poor decisions and you don't know you're doing it in real time. But yeah, I mean, weather's one you can't control. Weather comes up, you just have to make the best choice possible and try to remain safe. So another little fun fact that I found out is that no one even knew that Everest was the tallest mountain until the 19th century. So it took like that long. There was a British survey group that went out and they proved that the Himalayas and not the Andes, as previously believed, is the highest mountain range. So by 1852, they had figured out that Everest could be the king of them all. And in fact, they used pretty primitive survey equipment to figure it out. And years later, when now we've got modern GPS technology, they found out they were only 27 feet off. Pretty remarkable early math going on there. Also unknown fact is that Everest is not necessarily, it's the tallest from sea level up, but there is a volcano in the big islands that if you went from the ocean floor and up, it would be a few thousand feet taller than even Everest. No desire to go to the bottom of an ocean floor and climb I, up that one. You'd have to learn to dive and go all the way down and start at the bottom, is that? I don't know. Yeah, I think that one should not be on your list. Let's see, what other fun facts do I have got going on here? Litter, let's talk about litter. You've kind of experienced this a little bit on other mountains. And I know there are certain things that the park services do there in order to try to mitigate the amount of litter, but it's a pretty big, huge problem. They did a huge cleanup in 2011 to try to help out with that. But what are some of the things that you're going to be doing to? Yeah, I mean, we pack in, pack out. I mean, that's, that's fairly standard. And yeah, some of the mountains are, are pristine. Other ones are just completely littered with human waste, trash, everything else all over the place. 
I haven't been to Everest yet, so I don't know. I know historically it used to be a mess, and I think they've cracked down on that quite a bit. And they're really making sure that the climbing groups clean up after themselves and, and make sure that their climbers are behaving appropriately as well. So I expect it'll be a lot better than it used to be, but on a high mountain, when you're up that high, I mean, you're at 27,000 feet and you're not feeling well. You're not quite worried about trash at that point. Right. So yeah, there'll, there'll still be, I'm sure, some uh, litter and things on the mountain, but we'll, we'll see. To see how it goes. So you're all packed. We're just days away. And what are you going to do here in the last few days? Well, I'm still just sticking on my training schedule because it'll be a couple days out and just continuing with the cross training, continuing sleeping at altitude, training at altitude and getting ready to go. Yeah, I'll be, I'm pretty tired of the training, so it'll be fun to get out there and get going. I know you're anxious. We kind of all are. Well, thanks for talking some history and facts with me today. I'm Diane McGinley with Dr. Joseph McGinley. This is from Wyoming to Everest. Thanks for listening.